In August 2015, Gary Newman and Dana Walden, co-chairs and CEOs at Fox, met with journalists to discuss the upcoming Prison Break reboot. When questioned about the reasoning behind rebooting this particular show, Walden remarked that people are still interested in these characters. And she was right. Prison Break remains one of the most successful library shows on Netflix. What is it about these properties that make them so ripe for being remade? A cynic might argue that it's the result of a tired system relying on fond nostalgia to gather as much cash as possible from a sinking ship. But what if it were something more? What if there was some intangible quality that couldn't be quantified? This show is about the search for that essence. This is Still Interested for Curio. Back to Still Interested, our TV reboot remake podcast for Curio. I am, as always, your Friday night film boy, Ben McAllister. And I'm your good friend, Jackson Newsom. That's, you are my good friend, and I feel like we should acknowledge, as I've just said, that this is in fact Friday night, a rare Friday night record. It is in fact the same Friday night as the HW Laid that those of you who listen to both shows heard last Friday, I guess, by the time this goes up. Yeah, um, so for all those super fans are wondering, like, wow, I don't know why Jackson chose to record while he was on Codeine and Pseudoephedrine. Twice. I, I hope that uh, <laughs> hope that boy decided not to ever do it again. I'm doing it twice in one night, so... Yeah, yeah so it's uh, also late. So yes. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we we had to slam in a couple apps this weekend. We're just getting it, getting it did. Yeah. So I think we should, considering like the weird time kind of oddness that's going to go there, right? Like we're recording, then the issue is going to come up, then like the following week the SI is going to come out, but it's like recorded just hours later. I think we should um, subtitle this podcast episode. Still interested, colon, time fooling with Ben and Jackson. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah, because yeah. we're doing that time fooling. Yeah. Um, so we had a bit of a, uh, a ch- I think a bit of a change of pace uh, yeah. this week's episode. We've done a lot of the uh, 90s remakes, which makes sense, because there are a lot of really, uh, well, if not good ones, a lot of big budget ones. Yeah, certainly. and a lot of ones that like I feel like you know people are quite aware of. Yeah. You know? like, I, I don't think like there's been a movie that we've done that's like sort of not well known. You know, like yeah. Point Break, fucking... Jurassic Park, The Mummy, uh, the Mummy. Yeah, yeah, they're all kind of like big name movies, and like we're still doing big name movies here. It's just kind of like a, a different kind of movie, and about a full decade earlier than yeah. uh, any of the other movies that we've done. So we are, uh, of course, talking about the uh, nineteen eighty film. Uh, Friday the 13th. Directed by the inimitable Sean S. Cunningham, as the first fucking title card of this movie tells you in great white bold text. <laughs> yeah, a Sean S. Cunningham does. joint is, I believe, what it says, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, so we're in here. Obviously, The Mummy has a, has a couple of spooks, but this is our first, I would proper say, proper spook. horror film, I would yeah. say. And like, I feel like we both have kind of like, uh, through our sort of earlier youth, an affiliation with these kinds of like horror slasher films. Definitely, yeah. Personally, like I was pretty big I was more big on the like um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies right. than I was on the Friday the 13th list. but I, I had seen this movie before uh, but like not for like like I'm gonna say a full decade at yeah. least so like a, a lot of it was very like what the fuck is going on yeah because like the, the mythology of this like franchise was very much my bag dude oh yeah like, like yeah. rowdy teens sneaking off to fuck and like... then <laughs> getting in trouble for it well like less those elements but more like the um, 
the whole Jason mythos and all that sort of, of thing. What? Like him being like an indestructible yeah, killer. Yeah, well, you know those like sort of random topics you get like sucked into like like in, like Wikipedia like holes and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And just like you end up researching so much dumb shit on one topic. For me, Friday the Thirteenth ended up being one of those topics. So I'm I'm moving on from my catchphrase in the, what? In, in the spirit of in the spirit of moving from the 90s to the 80s. Ooh. I'm going to come up with like a new cool 80s catchphrase. All right, rather all right. Than something about thumping melons. Okay. All right. What about um, pass the duchy to the left hand side? Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, then then I'm going to go. Um, um, uh, I'll uh, review all the movies that you got on your shelf. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm the movie guy. Okay. I, what, I, it's it's a, a little long. Bit of a Fresh Prince vibe to it, I think. Yeah. Again, a bit more 90s, but that's that's all right. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about the time period. No. It's about keeping it, keeping it different, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Changing like it. it up a little bit. I like it a lot. I mean, we, we, oh, I mean, if we change our catchphrases at this point, we're going to ruin all the merch we've ordered. Yeah, Like, we, we just ordered 2,000 Thump This Melon t-shirts. I know. Uh, we, we didn't order any to take the frog, which I think was a personal slight, to be honest. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, look, I handled the purchasing, so <laughs> uh, I'll take credit for that one. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that we see is it's a full moon. Mm -hmm. It's a spooky dark night and we're getting this camera shot of the full moon up in the sky. And it's very spooky. We all know full moons from the dawn of man. People seem to get all weird in the full moon. And uh, the next thing we see is that this is a throwback, even for a 1980s movie. This is Camp Crystal Lake in 1958. That's where we are. Mm Mm-hmm. We're in a little pre-movie movie that explains the movie. Hey, if you, if you will. Yeah. yeah, that's the kind of thing you could be into. Although I would say here that it doesn't quite... No, it really doesn't. Like, and and like, that, that's something we'll come back to. This is the exact sort of film where you'd be like, oh man, they're going to hit you that exposition like real early, real yeah, hard, and then you're going to deal with it. They really don't. They just don't. And Which, like, to be honest... Didn't mind. Like, I... Yeah, oh, no, I actually, like, I was taking the piss out of it, and then, like, towards the end, I was like, this is actually not bad. Yeah. And um, I think we should, like, let the let the cat out of the bang on this one. Like, we recorded it right after HGW Laid. Our HGW Laid co-hosts, Thomas Owen and Grace, were sitting here watching the film with us. They've mm. gone now, so we can record. But, like, they were here earlier, and, like, like, T said at one point, something along the lines of he was just like, man, it's fucked up how, like, we're so far into this movie, and, like, they haven't even got close to, like the little bit that I know about this franchise. Yeah, right? Yeah, for me, other than, like, the the setting, it's just, like, that classic slash of film music, mm. which I think is in and will be with us the entire film. The music uh, is and, very good. Yeah, honestly, my first point of remakeability, like, with any of these classic slash of mm. films, the music is just intrusive, yeah. but, like... I would say effective. Like, at times, a little bit uh, absurd and too much, but, like, it's just such... It's, a, it's another character in the film. And, yeah. like, I think it's just very remakeable. The, the, the music, of course, composed by Harry Manfredi. Um, yeah. From uh, Manfred Mann. Yeah. <laughs> He's, it's really good, honestly. It's one of the better parts yeah, no, of it, the film. it is very good. <laughs> it's really good music. Um, yeah, no, it's totally cool. And, like, it, it's funny, because you talk about stuff that, like, becomes these, like, slash movie tropes. I'm looking through this, this film, and I'm just like, man, like, is this, like... Is this the first slasher movie? Is this the movie? one? Yeah. It's not, as it turns out, the first sort of slasher slasher movie is actually Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was six years before this, 1974. Really? Um, but it's definitely one of the founders of this whole kind of genre. So, like, a lot of the stuff that you'd, like, make fun of if you made a movie today for being a trope, it's kind of like, well, this kind of helped establish those tropes. 100%. So, like... Yeah. So, we uh, we kind of, like, come in on a creepy sort of sing-along, essentially. Yeah, it's a bunch of teeny teens fucking having a little sing-along. But, yeah. like, it's like 
like, so like, we're to intuit that they're the camp counselors at Camp Crystal Lake, but like, they're not singing for the kids. Because the kids are all asleep, they're singing for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess it's like the 50s, people used to like sing and hang out. Yeah, but it's just a bunch of teens all sitting around by a campfire, like singing songs about how much they love Jesus, intercut with these like POV shots of someone like walking into a room full of children and like moving through in slow motion, looking yeah. at all these sleeping children, very creepy. And we get this. Yeah. Which, like, is that meant to be the breath well, it of the is, killer? Or? Uh, well, I, I guess so, maybe, but like it's that laughable. is that is the one of the most recurring motifs throughout this franchise. Yeah, I is know. That particular, sound. I know, but like in, in this one in particular, it sounds laughable. It literally sounds like someone going into a mic, like literally what I just did. It literally yeah. sounds like someone's just going, <laughs> like that's the quality of this sound. It, it's it's very strange. There's these two teens singing about Jesus. Oh, these rowdy teens oh. that just like like if if looks could Giving kill each other the eye. Yeah. If looks could fuck more like yeah exactly yeah exactly um and so this dude is just like eyeing off this girl who's playing guitar they finish a little song everyone claps and then these two just start walking off don't yeah. even get like they get like maybe three meters, meters away yeah. if that and then they just start macking on start smooching um they like duck out to this back room yeah, these two teens have got to sneak off to smooch dude they yeah. just gotta at this point I've written down I think this is gonna be a teen sex romp yeah it does and it certainly is that it's very American pie dude yeah um yeah, they nice stifflers in the middle <laughs> yeah and stifflers mom dude it's yeah. crazy Ugh. yeah and so these teens like they head out uh head out back the girl like makes some remark to the guy she, being she like marion does like, marion kiss as good as i do yeah and it's kind of like this like uh, he's like ah oh, come on he's whatever. like it's all you like, baby yeah it's yeah, all yeah. you baby um they climb up climb up top of like they, a barn. Um, oh, it is a barn in the, in the, it's beyond it's, me, but beyond it doesn't me. matter. Um, they do this kind of weird ritual with this blanket. Oh, dude. They grab it and like come together and then bring dude, it down they, so they can fuck on it. They gotta put down a fuck top. Yeah. They're, they're literally like, ooh, we're up in the barn now, we're gonna have a sexy time for us, but first we have to put down our fuck top. Yeah. Because like everyone knows, if you're gonna have a teen sex romp, you gotta start with a fuck top. Rowdy teens sneaking off to have sexy times. I mean, it's right there. How did I well guarantee be? you yeah. it's gonna be up in the remake. It and it to. is a recurring element of this film we cut back into like our pov of uh, this you know mysterious figure walking through the kids room like walking up the stairs with yeah and 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 so like they walk up the staircase we see like the boy and the girl fucking going at it and the boy gets up and is like we weren't doing anything and then he gets fucking iced by whoever just climbed up the stairs and then we get this like really weird scene where the girl's like she's literally just like running around the top of the barn like ah 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 and like falling onto boxes and like throwing shit at like the POV yeah. that we have and the POV's just like slowly advancing where she's just like ooh ooh what's going on I'm and then so as, as like the killer gets there it just like freeze frames and then zooms into her face yeah. like screaming yeah exactly and that is the title end. card yeah title card Friday the 13th which zoomed and yeah. the music has gotten so loud yeah. here so it's like zoom into her face and then zoom out with like the title Friday yeah. the 13th and uh, then we get some credits yeah dude and that title card comes in and it's like Friday the 13th starts in the bottom right corner of the screen very small it comes up into the center of the screen it gets really big like it's coming at you and then there's like a glass shatter effect oh on the screen God, like yeah. this movie it's is coming it's all very coming... 4D dude yeah exactly it's ahead of its time this movie is coming right out the screen uh, another thing that I've noted like they're hitting those remakeability points early and when I say remakeability I'm just talking about things that like I'm pretty sure are gonna be in the 2009 film or I hope will be a lot of creepy shit from like the killer's point of view 
like killer right. perspective. Okay. Yeah, yeah. PM no, like idea who they really are. Mm. Just kind of like uh, spooky shit of them like walking around. And we don't really know who they are. Um, and then, um, yeah, we have this title card, we have some credits, and then we're back in the present. Uh, so, I guess we're doing... 1980? 1980. Um, we get to meet Annie, who's this sort of, like, uh, really, like, chirpy... like Lovable scamp. Yeah, lovable scamp. We find out that she's um, uh, the new cook she's for camp. camp Crystal Lake. They're opening up the camp again. So, uh, she walks into this town that we never really get a name of. And, uh, yeah, she walks into, like, a diner, and she's like, where's Cam Crystal Lake? Well, she also has a nice conversation with a dog. Yeah, I was just going to admit that, because it's it's very bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she, she walks up to the dog, and she's like, hello, girl. And then she looks down, and is like, ooh, hello, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, are we to expect that she's literally walked up to this dog, and been like, oh, man, that's a dog yeah. dick right there. I mean, I guess once you see it, you, you see it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's true. Uh, for her to continue pretending it was, like, it, it's just, you know. Yeah, but who is she saying, like, for whose benefit? I guess and her own. Yeah. So then she walks into the diner and she's like, where's Camp Crystal Lake? And they're like, you shouldn't go there. It's been shut for 50 Walk- years. She walks in and everyone's like, like talking and hollering at one another. There's music playing. And then as she like, like opens her mouth, like everyone stops, turns, looks at her. And then like the lady um, running the counter literally turns the music down. Like as this real, like, like, like head snapping to look at her. It's really spooky. So she's like, where's Camp Crystal Lake? How far is it? And they're all like, you don't want to go there. That's Camp Blood. It's been closed for years and you should quit while you're ahead. And then she's like, ha, don't be stupid. Well, why don't you take me there? Can I get a bus? And then, like, one of the guys who's hanging out in the diner, like, agrees to drive her, like, halfway there. And so they leave, and they go get in his truck. Before which, we get to meet uh, Crazy Ralph. Ralph <laughs> Crazy As he is credited in, in the film. Oh, I love Crazy um, Ralph, dude. Who is this old uh, dude that's obsessed with uh, camp, camp blood, as he would call it, mm-hmm. but at Camp Crystal Lake. I guess it's his uh, God-given mission to just convince people not to go there. And he says uh, such things as, which is my first uh, quote pitch. for the film. Yeah, my first title pitch. It's got a death curse. Yeah, I had that as well. So yeah, like they're walking along. This guy who I'm pretty sure we don't really get a name for him. Maybe we get it in the diner scene. I didn't note it down. The guy who's going to drive Annie there is like escorting her over to his truck. And Ralph's like, it's got a death curse. You can't go up to Camp Blood. You're doomed. doomed. You're doomed. And then the guy who's going to drive her is just like, all the girls up there can look as good as you. (laughs) And then like Ralph comes in and he's like, fuck off, Ralph. He's literally like, shut up, Ralph. Leave people alone. And he just like pushes Ralph out of the way. Yeah. And then Ralph just like gets on his bike and cycles away yeah so for me for being just such a no-nonsense fucking guy he this guy and, and for giving annie a lift up to camp crystal lake this nameless truck driver boy gets an mvp nom for, i'm into it for dude. being like kind of just really getting things done like he just like yells at ralph pushes him aside i like it a lot well he also provides a little bit of exposition yeah not a yeah, lot yeah but on the uh, on the trip up, he basically talks to um, Annie and is kind of like, "Look, the camp is cursed. You don't want to go there. I would quit if I were you." Uh, this kid died there in '57, and then two councils got killed in '58. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this other sort of random stuff sort of happened. Um, Annie's just there, sort of like bantering with him, being like, "Oh, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, you're a real American original." And Which it's like, is my second title picture yeah. this movie? I mean, it's kind of like a bit on the nose, you know, like still interested, fucking. 
An American original. I don't know. Not bad, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She reveals that she was supposed to be the cook up at the camp. She's going to be cooking for 50 kids and 10 staff or something or other, which sounds like a job, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's heading up there, and, and this guy in the car is being like, you should quit. You should quit while you're ahead. Now, we get a cut to a different car of people arriving. People who are, I believe, Jack, Billy, and Marcy. Yeah, we have uh, here uh, one degree of Kevin Bacon, because yes. it is just it, Kevin Bacon. It's just Kevin Bacon. I just forgot Kevin Bacon was in this movie. I had so much trouble keeping these fucking camp counselors' names straight in this movie. Well, they don't, because like a lot of the shots are just kind of broad and people walking in and out of camera and not like, like particularly focused. Yeah. It's just hard to keep track of who's who in this yeah, film. Yeah, and, and like they look very similar. Yeah. So we're to kind of put together that these are the other counselors in addition to yeah. Annie, or some of them at least, that are going to work Camp Crystal Lake. We get our first look at Christy. Uh, I believe Steve Christy? Steve Christy, Steve yeah. Christy, the owner of Camp Crystal Lake. The guy who spent one year and 25k revamping the park. And my, my, this boy standing there, shirtless, red bandana neckerchief, curly blonde hair, 80s mustache, thick glasses, and denim, denim cutoffs. Jorts. Yeah, Fucking dude. some hot jorts. Oh, uh, it's... <laughs> It's just chopping wood. So now we get a scene where Christy's there with the blonde girl who was there when they all arrived. Yes. Uh, who's Alice. Alice. As we later find out. Mm. I thought it was Helen. Alice slash Helen, uh, really good at drawing. Yeah, real good painter. Um, and that is the motivation behind uh, our boy Mr. Christie's really creepy conversation with a teenage girl. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, we find out like throughout the film that he's really thrilled about the project of having these young teenagers mm. working at his camp. And yeah, Alice essentially just rebuffs uh, Mr. Christie. He kind of convinces her because she kind of wants to go, probably because he's been like sleezing on her the yeah, entire time. She's been there for longer than the rest of them. Yeah. I guess, and she's like, I want to leave. I don't like it here. And he's like, just stay till Friday. Yeah, stay till Friday. Friday. And then the if you 13th. don't like it, I'll put you in the bus myself. Which yeah. isn't necessarily like a good sell, I guess. Like yeah, not, him being not, like, very you want to go? Well, don't go for a bit. And if you still want to go, I'll let you. Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, all right. Exactly. But I guess maybe like the implication. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the bigger thing for me here is just like, this characterization of her as being really good at drawing and really liking drawing. Like, like correct me if I'm wrong, like, it doesn't come up no. again. Like, it just doesn't come up again. Well, like, she's, she's like a is, sensitive, artsy girl, I guess, you know? Yeah, like, but, like, this is the thing that we'll come back to a little bit later in terms of characterization of these these different characters that just, like, doesn't play in... Because they're all just... They're identical. They're samey. Like, yeah. they literally just all behave exactly the same way. And th- there's no real key distinguishing features between them. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, I have here as a point, uh, everyone here is just trying to fuck. Yep. Like, that's the vibe where we, we yep. get pretty immediately that is that everyone here... Hot. Just wants to get on it, like Hot teen sex rock. Yeah. So apparently Annie isn't here. Like all the other teens are hanging out, and they're like, yeah. "Gee, where's that Annie girl? She's supposed to be here by now." Annie, who we saw getting in the the truck on the way up here uh, with that guy, and we don't know what's going on. One of the guys is like, "You know what they're calling in town? They call it Camp Blood." And uh, then I guess that they're out on like the archery range, like getting the archery range ready. And one of the boys like fires an arrow, which yeah, narrowly Ned, misses Brenda. Ned fires an arrow at Brenda. Is like, you should yeah. see my trick shot, ha ha ha. And yeah. like he's kind of using it as as uh, a means of like flirting like a flirt with tactic. Her. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, uh, there's that sense of danger, I suppose. But then he's as you like, nearly, like, shoot someone with a fucking arrow. He's like, you're really beautiful when you're angry. Oh. And, like, we are, like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes into this movie. And I'm like, 
Yowza. Is this what it was like in the 80s? Like, was it just this raw all the time? Like, was it just this bad? Like, have we come this far in 30, 40 years? I don't know. Nearly 40 years. Anyway, Nearly 40 fuck. years, yeah, yeah. Anywho, at this point, uh, our producer, Grace, who was sitting here watching the film with us, said, you guys should look up what other movies came out in 1980. For just get a vibe. Little, yeah, like, yeah, vibe. Yeah. She said, do it on my so I'm going to do that. Dude, The Shining came out in 1980. I thought The Shining was earlier. Man, what month? I don't know, but I thought it was earlier than this. Because Empire Strikes Back, the best Star Wars movie, came out this year. Right, okay. That's fucking something. Yeah. Uh, Airplane, which is pretty funny. That's, that's a funny film. Uh, yeah. Blues Brothers. Okay. Wow, the Blues Man, Brothers. Hey, it was a good year for um, This movie. Yep. The Blue Lagoon. Flash Gordon. The El- Raging Bull, dude. Fuck. Yeah, Wow. Wow, Cannibal Holocaust, which Ooh. was kind of... Caddyshack, yeah. dude. The oh, gods dude. must be crazy. What? I love that film. Yeah, dude. Wow, a lot of movies came out this year. Xanadu. <laughs> it's got Xanadu. Fame, dude. What? Fame came out this year. Okay, so it's definitely got... This is kind of like a fame sort of vibe, I fame think. Fame meets The Shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We, we jump back in to uh, seeing Annie, who's been like hitchhiking along. Uh, and manages to hop into uh, a sweet jeep and kind of like hops in and then just like proceeds to just start having this one-way conversation in this car. I wrote here like a nameless, faceless driver starts taking Annie to the camp. Yeah, we never see the face of the driver, which should be a dead tip-off for anyone paying attention. And then the faceless driver like misses the turnoff for Camp Crystal Lake and he spends like, I'd say like a couple of minutes being like, hey, Mr. Turnoff, (laughs) pretty, uh, do you want to slow down a bit? No, want to stop? Uh, The driver just does not respond at any point. It's literally like one of those things which we come back to a lot in this movie a little bit later I'm like is this just because this like movie came out in a period where slasher movies didn't really exist like where the genre still being defined that like the teens in this movie just have no coping skills yeah like probably right like, like that that's crazy to, to think that like movies like this inform the way that people would respond in these situations but it's totally believable that these characters wouldn't necessarily respond yeah. that way yeah well yeah. she's so trusting and like yeah, yeah. And then, I mean she like, does the- make the smart move here yeah, which is which to is, bail out of a moving van and like injures herself, like landing on a big old rock. Yeah, that was um, unfortunate. But for having the balls to bail herself out of a moving van, I've nominated Annie here for MVP. That's pretty fair. And dude. then I kind of felt the need to maybe take it away for this next scene. Yeah, which is where she's so just we have limping through the woods and just like continually falling over. Falling over. Like, I understand a limp, but this girl is just yeah. again and again. She's like running through this forest, and the person has gotten out of the jeep and is chasing her. Yeah. Um, running around, keeps going, falls over again. So we see like a, like a pair of pants that and classic like, some like shoes. boot look up the yeah, leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she like sort of stands up, and then we get like she's just, like no, 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 no. That she just says no a lot, a whole bunch, and then all of a sudden, this person just like runs a knife across her throat, yeah. slits it, and Annie dies. And I wrote here. I thought she was the protagonist. Yeah, I literally, like... Okay, so I didn't so much think of the protagonist as, like, that knife throat slash followed by bleed out looked so bad that yes. I, like, I literally, like, I thought it was going to be a fake out. Like, I thought yeah. this was going to be the thing where, like, she's in the car, she gets away, she's like, oh, God, no, and then it's, like, one of the boys from the camp, like, playing a prank on her and, like, runs... Because it literally, like, the knife missed the throat by so far and you could see it on camera that I was like, oh, this is just one of those prank boys yeah. playing a prank on the girl who just showed up at the camp. But then, like, the next thing you see is her, like, clutching her throat as blood pours out of it. And it was like, wow, fuck. That's Annie Dunn. That's she's game over. Yep, she's Our dead. 
first of like, and so we, we yeah. never see her again. So now we come back to the camp, and the teens are all hanging out on the dock, having a yeah, nice time, just splashing around, having splashing a good around time. The water, they're, they're playing like teens did before there was the internet. Yeah. You know, no, like one true. of them's on a little like floating section of the dock, and like his idea of a fun time is to like do a somersault, and like he just does a somersault, and everyone's like, "Dude, nice, nice, yeah. nice somersault, dude." Uh, that Ned dude is going around like uh, swimming underneath people and like grabbing yeah. at him and that sort of thing. Yeah, just being very spooky. Um, then, like all of a sudden, we get like intercut with like there's a spooky hand. Pushing yeah. bushes aside, watching the teens on the dock, and like one of the teens, I forget which one, like it's Brenda. Yeah, one of them like sees like something over the side of the river, and is like, "Huh?" And everyone's like, "What are you looking at, Brenda? What's spooking you out?" And she's like, "I don't know, something weird." And then like we very quickly move on from that. We have to because as uh, we get a zoom up, as uh, Kevin Bacon has arrived uh, with him and his uh, budgie smugglers, and mm-hmm. let me tell you. It's uh, smuggling a lot of budgie. Cause yep, it's just there's like, not a lot left in the imagination. No, no, no. There. You see Kevin's um, strip of bacon. And then everyone is just rushing into the water because Ned is like seemingly drowning. drowning. Yeah, Ned's um, drowning, guys. So they like they dive in, they bring him back to shore, someone goes to give, give him CPR, and oh, what's this? Oh, it's a prank. Oh, it's a sexy prank. And uh, everyone's like, oh, Ned, you shouldn't have. Classic and Ned. Pranks? I mean, we've had to, because we've said it before, pranks are highly remakeable. remakeable. They just are. You've got to have just, them in the movie. It's just true. And you have to think in that 2009 remake, remake. 2009 remake, there has to be some good pranks in there. Yeah, I assume they've got to be. So the next thing we see is uh, Alice is in her dorm, and there's a snake in the dorm. And she's spooked as hell. And she yells out the door and she's like, Billy! Billy! And Bill comes running. He's going to get that snake. And he walks in and, like, he just gives the most, like, offbeat delivery. Like, he's literally in there with, like, a knife. And he's like, what do I do? Like, it's really strange the way he delivers these lines. All the rest of the teens show up. They're all like, oh, there's a snake. It's under the bed. What are we going to do? How are we going to get the snake? And Kevin Bacon's Jack character is like, I'll flush it out. And he, like, jumps on the bed. He, he, like, tackles the bed. He breaks the bed. Feathers go flying everywhere. It sort of becomes like a teen pillow fight. Yeah, they're all hitting each other with pillows and trying to hit the snake. The snake rolls out. And then, like, yeah, like, yeah, like they actually, like, it kind of seems like they actually kill a snake, like on camera. Yeah, like that's the only it's kind. A, it's of... a little, um, yeah, kind of surprising to see. I guess. Like, yeah, it... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's real. I'm sure we'll probably. Uh... Yeah, people seem to think it was a real ass snake. Uh, like that's like the it's kind of upsetting, really. Yeah, I mean, like, it is upsetting. It definitely is to watch happen. I also eat meat, so I feel like it's a little bit, you know, maybe kind True. of critical of me to be like, oh, gee, how could you kill that invertebrate? No, but, yeah. I'd probably mind less if they didn't just do it for this film. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, if, they, if, if they, Listen, if they went and fucking threw that snake on the barbie, like, you know, maybe got, got a little bit of lemon out or something like that, a little bit of season or something yeah, like that, and, and like, like chomped down on the it. The crew like, all ate it afterwards. Yeah, I'm so into that. Like, whatever, dude. It's just like, it was like, cool, well, that's a dead snake. Oh, we fucked the scene. Uh, you got another one? All right, let's go again. You know what I mean? Like, so the ladies are now that the snake's been killed and that very upsetting scene are like walking out of the room talking about dinner and one of them's like, I'm going to make a salad. And the other one's like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then this cop rolls up on a motorbike and... Just wh- as Ned busts <sighs> out in like a Native American headdress. Yep. Just like dancing around in his underwear. <laughs> uh, I will note that like, I'm pretty sure Ned's wearing underwear that says 88 on it. Nice. And, like, later he's wearing a t-shirt that says 88 on it. So, like, is he just an 88 boy? 
Like, does he just love 88? I guess so, right? He's just really into it. Like, yeah. that, that was my read on that scene. Because, like... Maybe it's like a double infinity thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm, you know, George Cantor, and this is my theory of multiple infinities. Yeah. And that's a deep pure maths joke for nice. all the pure mathematicians out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, these guys are fucking around, and then this random cop just sort of rocks up. Who, like, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't see again. No, we don't. Yeah, wow. So this deadpan-ass cop comes in, and he's like, what have you been smoking, boy? And he pulls up, like, Jack by the collar, and Jack's like, I don't smoke anything. And he's like, I'm talking about Colombian gold, man. Yeah. Grass, hash, the weed, dig it. That's, I literally had that whole quote, the yeah. exact same bit. Fuck. Like, he literally says to Jack as he rocks up, just kind of like, you teens are into drugs, and I know it. I'm going I'm to... I'm going to bust you. At first, I was like, is this like a subplot here where this like cop is like, I'm going to bust these damn teens. They start dying or something like that. But no, this guy rocks up. They're kind of like, officer, it's fine. They kind of dick around with them a bit. Jack's like playing with his police radio. Yeah. I'm not sure. And like, listen... Maybe we're living in a post 9-11 world where, like, you don't fuck with the police anymore. But, like, if a cop rocked up and I was on a camp, like, smoking weed sort of thing, I probably wouldn't be up there, like, fucking Fucking around with his his radio and that sort of thing and being like, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's a different world, man. Yeah, I Um, guess so. (laughs) So now the the cop puts on, uh, he does this very CSI Miami take where he, like, puts on the sunglasses and he's like, we won't put up with any craziness out here. We ain't going to stand for no weirdness out here. Yeah. He also reveals that uh, Crazy Ralph is apparently on the loose. He's out there looking for for Ralph. That's why he's up there. Um, But... Like, gets a call from the chief, and as he says, never keep the chief waiting. And, uh, gets on his yeah. motorbike and, and he rides away. Is this meant to be played for laughs? Like, I literally can't yeah. tell because it is in that awkward time period where, like, now, like, this scene where this cop rolls in and he's, like, trying to bust them for smoking weed and he's putting on his glasses and he won't leave the chief waiting and he rides off on his motorbike. Like, it looks so bad. It's, like, laughably awkward. And, and, like, I wonder if at the time it was cool. Like, was this character meant to be, like, intimidating and cool? Or was it always meant to be, like, played for gags? I literally cannot tell. Now, who I later learn is called Alice, is in the kitchen, and she opens the pantry, and Ralph is just in the fucking pantry! He's just standing there, in the pantry, waiting for somebody to open it! And he's like, I'm a messenger from God! I'm here to warn you all! It's, it's really awesome. He fucking throws out, yeah, like, you're doomed if you stay here, and then again, he's like, it's got a death curse! Which, like, for me, like, this dude, this, like, prophet from the Lord coming down, like, he's got to have an MVP, dude. Yeah, he's definitely got an MVP. For for the way that, like, he's just, he's just standing in the pantry, staring at the inside door of the pantry. It opens and he's just like, you're all doomed! And he stands there in the kitchen, preaching this gospel for, like, a minute. And then he literally just turns and just calmly walks out the door. Walks out the door slowly hops on his bike and then very calmly cycles away yeah. and the sh- we see the whole the shot whole of thing. him like, sucking out of the view whole like, thing, dude. It's, it's like nearly a minute of this it's, old dude just cycling away into the distance it's such a strange choice <laughs> like he literally comes out he's like you're all fucked shit's foul you're all gonna die everything's bad here you're all gonna fucking be killed by the curse and then he's like well, bye. And like the camera just follows him as he walks outside, gets on his push bike, and just calmly cycles away. And we, spoiler alert, in what is becoming a recurring theme, never see this character again. Yeah. He just leaves. Like, that's going to be the third character that I've already said that about. Yeah, here's something, dude. Uh, I'm not sure if you are familiar with part two. Ralph's back in part two, dude. 
Okay, wow. Like, like Ralph is, I think at least for the first two parts, a recurring character in these films of this crazy old guy. And then, again, in, in the second one, people rock up, they're about to head to Camp Crystal Lake, and Ralph is just there being like, if you go there, you're doomed! Doomed! And then hops on his bike and just cycles away. <laughs> Man, what a guy. Is it the same actor? Yeah. Man, that's nice. So, cut ahead. The kids are all cooking dinner together, and it's very nice. It's all five of them. They're hanging out. They're having a great time with their friends. They're just cooking dinner. There are Billy, f- yeah, six Ned, yep. Jack, the girl, uh, Brenda, Alice, and Marcy. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's worth noting at this point that Steve Christie has headed to town for uh, a bunch of stuff. Yep. Reasons but that aren't exactly clear. He doesn't really explain it, but like for whatever reason, go the, the adult is gone. It's so it's, it's, it's all teen time. So the kids are cooking dinner with their friends, and like the lights aren't working, and they need to activate the emergency generator, which Jack knows how to do. So they go activate the emergency generator... And it's kind of spooky in there. There's not really much to say about this scene. Yeah, this scene is a bit nothing. Generator. They turn on a generator. Ned is just trying to hit on everyone, and no one's really buying it. Yeah, it's kind of a because dick. like because like Alice is kind of coupling up with Billy, and like Marcy's kind of coupling up with Jack, and like Brenda's just not having it, and so like Ned's just kind of left hanging. So at this point, we get a shot of like Kevin Bacon is outside with Marcy. They're like slow dancing on a log, and our producer Grace just says, "How was Kevin Bacon ever a sex symbol?" Which I think is unfair. I agree. I mean, if you've seen Footloose, that's... Yeah, I mean, exactly. He can move his hips in supernatural ways. Mm. That's something that you got to look out for. While this is happening, Marcy and Jack are, like, hanging out, having a nice little slow dance. Ned starts walking into a dark building, just going, Hello? Yeah, so, Hello? He, so Ned sees Marcy and uh, Jack together. Obviously, he, he drove down with them. Potentially holds a candle for Marcy, who can say he seems like he just wants to fuck anyone that he can. Mm. Uh, and like, he's just kind of like dejected, sees something in this like cabin, and just kind of goes and like, hello, and like goes and checks it out, and then shuts the door, and that's Ned. Yeah, um, and yep, we'll only see him one more time. Yeah. Spoilers. So now we get some, all right, another of one of these things that I mentioned before that I was complaining about. Just some really strange, tired ass exposition from Marcy. Like she sits down and she's like, it's starting to rain, and Jack's like, oh, it's gonna storm. And she's like, I've been terrified of storms since I was a child. And it's just like, okay, is this going to come back? Is there a point to this? To having this character sit down here and be like, I'm afraid of storms. Literally, she's like, I'm afraid of storms. And Jack's like, okay, I guess you're afraid of storms. And then that's like, that's it. We also have the inspired filmmaking choice of using film lights as a means of showing lightning strikes. Oh, man. And so the characters will be like, huh, there's some lightning. And it's literally like there's like some, like a best boy on set just holding a light flicking it on, switching it off. And it happens on, like, four or five occasions over the next, like, three minutes. And I'm being like, huh, more lightning, huh? Yeah. Somebody call Tommy. Yeah. Hey, Tommy. Get in here. But yeah, not to be deterred by a storm. Jack and Marcy find their way into this same creepy little shed that uh, Ned walked into recently because it's starting to rain. At this point, like, we're getting some very sexy teen time. And I've noted down here... We're 40 minutes into this movie. This movie is 90 minutes long. We've had three murders and about 18 sex scenes. When, like, we're nearly halfway into a slasher movie and the teen sex outweighs the murders, like, at least two to one. Yeah, of course, of course. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty huge. Uh, Marcy takes her pants off. We, we intercut that with a scene where we've got Billy and Brenda and Alice back up in the main cabin playing strip monopoly. Brenda gets up and is like, oh, you know what? This sucks, guys. Let's, uh, let's play monopoly. And everyone's like, oh, no, monopoly. And then she's like, 
But wait, we're going to play Strip Monopoly. Because all these it's, teens want to do is uh, fuck. It's just this Which, to be fair, is all teens want to do. Yeah, that's, I guess. It's, it's pretty accurate. Like, the, the writers really know what they're doing here. They were probably a bunch of teens. Yeah, probably. By teens, for teens. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Almost in the style of an infomercial, I would say, like, is, is Brenda's explanation of what this Strip Monopoly is. Yeah. It's almost as if, like, <laughs> the makers of this film were like, what's a cool game we could get into the cultural zeitgeist? Uh, what's a way of, like... <laughs> Like, what are teens like? Yeah. Sex, well, games. Sex, stripping. And then if we gave them, like, a board game to base it. Monopoly's Ooh. my favorite one. Here yeah. we go. I'm playing the shoe as a printer. Yeah. Quickly wow. um, yells out. That's very relatable, right? Everyone yeah. wants to be the shoe. I was all about that car, but anyway. I'm more of a money bag kind of guy. Yeah, that, that sounds like I feel you. like that only came about in later Monopoly, though. Um, so we then jump straight back into what becomes a very, very long sex scene. An explicit teen sex Between uh, Jack and Marcy. We get Kevin Bacon's butt. Yeah. Do you think it's his real butt? That's a really important question. Now, I feel like... Kevin Bacon was probably a no one at this point. I don't know, man. 1980. This is good. I'm pretty sure Footloose was... That's a big get if they got Kevin Bacon in that role. 1984. So, yeah, he hadn't done a lot at this time. He'd done... Yeah, this is his fourth movie. What did he do before it? National Lampoon's Animal House. Okay. Uh, Starting Over. Uh-huh. Hero at Large. Right. And then Friday the 13th. Well, yeah, I think it's probably his butt then. Yeah, I mean, he's probably not famous enough to have a butt double. No, no, no. Yeah, wow. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Bacon's butt, right up in the mix. Um, and but yeah, so we get, we, that, we get that butt, this oh, it's very long very sex lewd. scene continues. And like, I'm pretty sure we hear him not, dude. We definitely hear him not. Like, um, oh, and then yeah. as, as we hear that, it's almost as if the camera shakes, the cameraman wakes up, uh, takes a step up, and then on the top bunk above them... Ned's fucking dead. Yeah, dude, a fourth murder. Neddy is deady. We see Kevin Bacon nut. The camera pans up and there's a dead boy with his throat cut. Dead Ned. So the next thing we see is uh, Jack and Marcy lying in bed. Jack's got that vice-like titty grip. Yeah, like, so it's basically really he's, he's lying behind her, has his right hand over her right breast, and so it's kind of like obscuring any nipple action from the Yeah, and the you're like, camera. oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, you're like, okay, right, he's holding it in such a like uh, a strange way so as to cover it from the camera. And then she just kind of shifts over. She rolls over, and left like, nipple. Okay, so he just... Was like had this vice Kevin like Bacon for just no reason. decided that that was an appropriate character choice. Was that Jack was going to be just latched on, and like he just wasn't going to be. Yeah, wow. I mean, there you go. I guess that's how it works. Um, we jump back to Strip Monopoly. Uh, Strip Monopoly. Um, like it's fucked up at this point, dude. We have spent so much of the time we've been recording describing teen sex. Yeah, I know. And so little of the time talking about murders. Because that's what this film is, though. It's all teen sex. Yeah, it really is. Um, and we have them, like, talk... It's, it's some bullshit. They're playing strip very low-energy strip um, I don't think we even need to dwell on it. Yeah. It's like... It, it amounts to nothing. Yeah. They sit there, they, they banter about playing with strip monopoly, and we, we move back on. Okay, this fucked me up. So, like, they're in the room, they've just had sex... Marcy decides she needs to get up and pee. Things we know about Marcy at this point. Doesn't really care about walking around without a bra and in her underwear. That's fine. Hates storms. Two things we know about the character. She elects to get up in the dead of night and walk through a storm to a toilet block. Like, literally, the last bit of character development we have for this character is her giving a monologue about how she's been scared of storms since she was a child. A completely, like, useless thing to add to this character, because it doesn't come back in the movie. The next thing 
we see of her being a character is her like, I'm gonna go walk through this storm and go pee by myself. Like, this just fucked me up. Like, I was literally sitting here like, why? Why, why include that earlier bit? It, it's mind-boggling. You gotta, you gotta pee after sex, dude. I, uh, like, that I understand. Just, Look, it's just good, it's, good it's, sexual health. It's you know? very good sexual hygiene. I appreciate that. You gotta do it. My thing is more like, why construct this character so that the only tangible thing we know about her is that she is afraid of storms to then have her walk through a storm. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I suppose it's some kind of narrative about how, like, kids, you have to overcome your fears in order to achieve good sexual health. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, gotta yeah, be the yeah. message yeah. that I'm No matter how frightened of storms you are, you gotta pee up to you sex. You gotta, you just gotta. So Marcy heads off, and uh, Jack just decides to, like, kick back, lie down a little bit, just yeah, dude, have a little just relax. hang out in his little post-orgasm bliss. And then it just kind of happens. The best murder yet, dude. Oh. The best murder yet. This knife jabs up through the bed, through Jack's throat, comes out the front of his throat. The killer is, like, holding his head in place as, like, blood is spurting out and, like, covering his face in blood. Yeah, dude. Uh, And it is, like... It, like, the fucking stakes go up, like, the gruesomeness goes, because we have, like, a couple of, like, like, throats being asleep, which doesn't look very convincing. This, why not look convincing, was just so gratuitous. Yeah, dude. That it was just like, oh, shit, I'm in, you know? Yeah, like, exactly, and that that's the thing that I think, actually, like, to, to be serious about what's cool about this movie for a minute, like, the murder scenes we've seen up to this point have been pretty uninspired. It's been, like, a fucking knife slashes the throat. This one... This is ridiculous and awesome. Yeah. So dude, for me, like, crazy, awesome, ridiculous murders... Highly remakeable. Is, it, like, it has to be. It like, has, it has to be, to be an element. I will also say this, something that I was thinking about. Did the murderer just lay there and watch them fuck? Yeah, dude. Like, uh, the, the murderer is in there just like, I'm going to kill these teens. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then just decides to, like, watch them fuck, and then is like, all right, I'll wait for one of them to leave. Yeah, I'll get the yeah. other one. I mean, like, I guess- I guess maybe they insist that... Uh, they die one at a time. Yeah, maybe it has to be a one-on-a-time thing for maximum fear. It's hard yeah. to say. The, the killer's motives aren't really known at this point. Yeah, exactly. So, moving right along, we're back to Marcy. She's in the toilet. She's doing whatever she's doing. And she hears something outside. And she's like, ooh, Jack. Is that you, yeah. Jack? Or maybe Ned. We don't ooh. know. Who's, she who's, like, who's playing a prank? She like creeps out of the toilet and she's like, ooh, who's coming? And then rather than go investigate, she walks over to the faucet and tries to turn it on and the water's not running. Now, for me, poor hygiene spookiest part of the movie so far oh dude yeah. it's terrifying the idea of going to a public bathroom and not being able to wash your hands Oof. yeah that really gives, gives me shivers gives dude. me the jeebies she goes and like uh like checks out the showers opens a couple of them up and is like huh must have been my imagination as she's staring into an empty shower she for, opens like, a shower cubicle far too long she opens a shower cubicle the camera's in the shower cubicle she just stares dead into the camera. So, like, imagine, like, from her perspective, what's happened here. She's opening these shower cubicles. Open shower cubicle, nothing. Open shower cubicle, nothing. Open shower cubicle. Stare at the back wall of the shower and just say, I guess it was my imagination. In the meantime, we see a fucking axe being raised. The shadow of an axe. Uh, like, Marcy spins around. And then, for some, like, we get this, like, fucking, like, just 
good two seconds. Good two seconds of her being like, oh, God, no! Before the and axe comes down. And axe just fucking nails oh, her in the face, dude. It's awesome. Like, she, like, falls back against the shower stall and she's got a fucking whole axe buried in her face. But it just, like, like the, the pre-death reaction just yeah. was so stilted like, the, and weird. The degree to which she just, like, sees the axe and just instantly resigns herself to her death. Yeah. Like, she's not going to try and fight it. She's not going to try and run. She sees it and she's just like, Oh no! <laughs> Until she gets axed. It's, yeah, it's really good. That that comes up a lot. I guess it's just fucking production value of I the guess movie so. in terms of like how they're able to put these shots together. I don't know why, but for some reason, like every time someone is about to get stabbed in this movie, like they see it coming and we just get like two seconds of them being like, <gasps> no! and then it happens. Like nothing ever happens quickly. Teen death count update. Annie killed before she even got to the camp. Ned, first teen to die at the camp. Jack got stabbed in the bunk after sex. Marcy, Marcy. gets fucking axed in the showers. We've got, back in the main house, we got Billy, we got Brenda, we got Alice playing Strip Monopoly. And they decide that it's over, I guess. They're done playing Strip yeah, Monopoly. The, the door swings open because of the yeah, storm. Right. The door blows, blows the money open. around. Brenda's like, oh shit, I left my window open in my cabin. Better go sort that out. Guess we'll have to finish this up later. Yeah, and um, she too walks out in the storm in her underwear. Because I why guess, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, just walks through the storm in her underwear. And we cut back to town where Steve, the boss, is hanging out in the diner and flirting up a storm with the lady who owns the place. He's in there like, oh, how much do I owe you? And she's like, just a night out on the town, Steve. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, how much though? Because yeah, you she, nasty. Yeah, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, two and a quarter. Yeah, two, 225. <laughs> and he pays her $3, I noted. And then mm. uh, he leaves and he gets, a tip. he gets into a Jeep. But before he does it's that... It's also interesting noting that he's getting into a Jeep because our nameless driver that killed Annie yeah. also driving a Jeep. Exactly. So I'm kind of thinking that's a little bit of a red herring at this point because obviously he's here while the murders are happening. I will say this. Before he goes and gets out in the Jeep, he's like describing to the lady who owns the diner what's happening back at Camp Crystal Lake. And he says, I got all these, you know, six new councils up there. And then he says, they're babes in the woods in every sense of the term. Yeah. That is the ultimate title pitch for this movie, dude. Babes in the Woods. It's just about teen sex rom. Uh, Babes in the Woods in every sense of the term. Yeah, that's, it's, that's gotta be it's it. It's just kind of gross, because like, it's hard to know how old this guy is. Probably like, what, like 30 or around there. It's hard, yeah. to, it's hard to know how old the actor is versus how old he's meant to be played. But he's just this, like, this denim cut-off fuck who's just like perving on all these girls and being like I got these councils here and I want to make the most of it so we're moving back onto the camp and like at this point this is the first time I've noted down like this is where it starts to get a little ridiculous in terms of how little the teens care nobody like spares a thought for what happens to Annie everyone's just instantly been like oh I guess Annie's not coming that's a shame no one wonders where Ned is no one wonders where Jack and Marcy are um, Brenda goes out like she's in the showers before she's going back to her dorm I guess spooky stuff happening she just doesn't seem to care yeah yeah, I think the thing that the, the film does is because, like, the, the, it's saving grace is that it's created a teen sex romp. So anytime someone's like, hey, where are these two people? They're like, nah, they're probably fucking. Or like, hey, where's Ned? I guess he's just having a wank. Like, <laughs> like they just, like, assume that at any point someone's missing, they're, like, in some way getting up. Yeah. Oh, that's Ned. He's off, uh, probably talking about watching Jack and Marcy bang, yeah. right? That's the only explanation. You know, he loves jacking off in storms. Like, yeah, that's what, that's what he's up to. Yeah, he climbs trees and he jacks off the lightning. <laughs> he thinks it's very powerful and it makes him thoroughly erect. You he know? loves nature. Yeah, the, the raw power of nature. <laughs> we all know this. We've all read his blog. He's always right 
writing about how the yeah. raw power of nature fills him with sexual energy. Steve's car breaks down on his way back to the camp and some nameless cop is helping him out. Uh, this is intercut with like Helen getting ready for bed and the, no, sorry, Helen, Brenda getting, the mysterious Helen, man. I swear, once we're done <laughs> recording this, I'm going to put the fucking movie back on and I'm going to show you where someone says Helen because I fucking spent so long thinking there was a character named Helen in this movie. So, uh, Brenda is getting ready for bed and to, to change up on the theme that I had kind of thought was going to be a theme in this movie, which was no one's allowed to die fully clothed. Brenda changes into, from her underwear, this super conservative nightgown like floor length nightgown she's getting into bed she's reading her book and i guess like she's not that rowdy of a sex teen after all the fatal mistake you're making here is that there's a storm going on and you know brenda's gonna get drawn outside because she hears help me so uh brenda heads out to try and help uh in some sort of way good on her but you know it's raining a storm out there. Yeah. And so that very conservative nightgown she was wearing is now, like... A very see-through It's nightgown. just drenched and, like, sticking to her. Yeah. And, like, even when this film thinks... Like, makes you think it's taking a more conservative route, it's not. It's still a teen sex romp. Okay, here's something that fucked me up, right? So she's inside the cabin. She's reading a book. It's fucking bucketing down outside. And she just hears, like, through the rain, like... Help me! <laughs> and like decide she's gonna go outside. The next thing we see of her is her outside in the rain, and it is so loud out there. Like she's out there, like screaming, like "Hello, who's there?" And, like we can't hear her saying that. How the fuck is she gonna hear that like wail through the night? Like, well, I feel like there's like a whole range of like Brenda's character we never even got to see. It must have been cut for time, I guess. Even though this this film runs for an hour thirty five, yeah. But like, I'm guessing maybe she was trained in some sort of like mystical cult or something like that. Yeah. She has super keen hearing. Yeah, that, that's like that. The, that that is true. There are hints of that. Like yeah. she's like anytime anyone asks her like, oh hey, what are you doing next weekend? She kind of like looks bashful and like consults the tattoo on the inside of her wrist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like people will drop things and she does like backflips and catches them with like one arm outstretched and like yeah. whoa Brenda how you do that and she's like oh it's nothing it's a very like Spider-Man like origin story I'd say that's true there's that whole scene with the radioactive spider where they yeah. just like it's like a weird like 30 minute divergence in the middle of this 95 minute movie where like Brenda like flashes back to her high school days and it's funny enough because like Tobey Maguire's dad is in this film yeah exactly it's, it's really strange and like Doc Ock is there he's yeah. played by um, uh, Sly Stallone Funnily enough, it's a great name for a slasher, dude. Yeah, what? Slice Stallone. <laughs> Slice Stallone. Oh man, why was there never a fucking Slice Stallone yeah. slasher called Slice Stallone? So, uh, Brenda uh, is outside in the rain, right near the archery stand uh, where she was before. The all the lights switch on. She's like really lost, not sure what's happening, and then we just cut away. Um, I, I think it was probably uh, one of the people in, in the room as we were watching it was kind of like, oh, okay, in the archery place, we're about to see her get like fucking like pinned to like mm. one of these uh, mm. one of these targets of an arrow. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, um, I know. But I love the idea of like the lights turn on the archery range. It's very spooky. And she's like, I'm just going to stand here. And this was like, for me, another instance of these, these teens just accepting their death. Yeah. Like, she was literally like, I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to stand here in the archery range in the light. And just wait to get shot with an arrow. Yeah, no, it, it's bonkers, dude. It's absolutely fucking bonkers. But we don't see it happen. This era of pre-slasher movies, they just don't have the instincts. Like, if you were in that situation, you would just bolt. Because, like, we have the benefit of pop culture teaching us to live that way. But yeah. I guess they just, these teens just, just like, don't. Find a weapon and bolt. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
The the amount of weapon drops here is insane. Of people like arming themselves and then dropping it immediately is just. So we cut back to Alice and Billy in the main hut with the fire. They're hanging out. Like Brenda's gone. It's just the two of them. Billy like comes back inside. He's been out checking on the generator. He's like, oh, the generator works just fine. And then Alice is like, did you hear that scream? Also, someone turned on the lights at the archery range. And he's like, well, I guess I got to go check it out. And Alice is like, I'll come with you. So then they're like out exploring. They don't go to the archery range and they don't go looking for the scream. They go into one of the cabins and they find a bloody axe in the fucking bed. They literally pull the covers back on the bed. They find a bloody axe and they just go weird yeah. like literally they're just like huh odd and i was literally like at this point when they find the axe i'm like oh good we're 60 minutes into a 90 minute movie and finally the remaining two teens are about to be like oh we're in grave danger but instead they find the axe and they're like oh, that's strange what's up with this blah funny right crazy camp life i guess you know alice is the first person out of these teens with a lick of sense in her head and billy's literally like nah we're gonna be laughing about it in the morning don't worry about it it's all totally fine you know that bloody axe in the bed not a problem but for like being the first person to have a fucking shred of sense in her head alice gets an mvp nomination for 100 percent, dude right there with you so she's spooked she wants to leave she wants to call steve and billy just wants to chill Rowdy teens ignoring signs of danger because they're interested in getting some touch on. Highly remakeable. Gotta be. Gotta be there. Uh, Alice, like, they head around in the office. Like, Alice just picks up a plank of wood and, like, breaks the glass and starts entering. So now we're sort of like, okay, Alice in particular isn't fucking around. Like, they look like they're actually finally heading towards doing any fucking change in this film other than just being like, oh, we're just on camp time. So they get in the office and they realize that, like, the phone's dead so they can't call anyone. Yeah, the camera pans out and we see that the phone lines have been cut. Yeah, I know. And, 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 like, Billy's just so not concerned. He's just like, yeah, it's all gonna be fine. Let's go back and get our touch on. Yeah. And Alice is like, I don't know, Billy. I think we should be worried about it. But uh, we cut to Steve. He's there trying to fix his car and this nameless cop has picked him up and is driving him towards Camp Crystal Lake. And he's like, it's Friday the 13th and it's also a full moon and that's important because statistics show we get more crazies on a full moon. Also, it's Friday the 13th. And Steve's like, yeah, you yeah. make a science out of that, buddy. Like, yeah, all right, whatever. whatever. Man. You're just yeah. making shit up, man. Then like he drops Steve off. Steve's in a nice, nice high-vis jacket. Uh, and as he's getting ready to head in, he sees a light turn on by the sign that says And this Camp dude Crystal just Lake. goes full fucking deer in the headlights. Like, oh, what? Uh, a torch? Hmm? What? Kind of like stand still. Yeah, he, he's and like, he just gets like fucking gutted. He's literally like, who are you? What are you doing out here? And just walks towards the light and literally just is like, ugh! He just gets stabbed. Like, we literally, don't even really see it. We just see him like flinch forward. Because like, like the camera's on his face as he's walking towards the camera like, who are you? What are you doing out here? Ugh! And he's just like, yeah, he's, he's just dead. And at this point, Grace <laughs> got fucking spooked yeah uh, I, I took a little surreptitious photo of Gracie being shook as hell at this point uh, which we will put on Twitter I promise they they haven't said the word Voorhees nobody's no. said yeah. Jason like it's so late in the movie to start like it it would honestly like it wouldn't even be that strange if this was a standalone film that was like a cult classic but the fact that this is the film that sets up a fucking 12 movie franchise about Jason Voorhees the slasher and like we haven't seen a killer let alone heard a name it's kind of crazy <laughs> Billy and Alice are back in their little hut 
This is a, a teen update. These are the last two teens as far as we know. We yep. didn't see Brenda die, but we're to assume that she's dead. Uh, and, and Billy goes out at night alone to look at the generator again, even though he literally did that earlier. Yeah. Like, he literally earlier in the night was like, oh, I was just out checking on the generator. And he's like, I got to go check on the generator again. Yeah. I guess, did the power go out? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think the power did go out. Alice decides to have a little nap. She have a little nap on the couch. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, Bill, Billy goes to check it all out. In this dark room, like, looking around, like, yeah, generator. He pours some fuel into the generator, and he's like, mm, what's going on? And then, like, it's kind of like the music's getting very loud and creepy, and, like, the camera's zooming in on him. And then we smash cut to Alice waking up yelling, Billy! And, like, that's kind of like... Like an early jump scare. Yeah. Like a prototype jump scare. I think so. Like, it, it was pretty neat, actually. I didn't mind that much at all. So she gets up, she's spooked, and she's just kind of puttering around, as you do when you wake up in the middle of the night. She's making some hot drinks. She's making coffees. And then she just gets bored and decides to go out looking for Bill. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. At this point, I'm like, with this scene, it's kind of like, this is taking a long time and nothing, nothing is really happening. Like, there's a killer on the loose. Let's, let's fucking, let's get back into that. Let's speed it up. Yeah. She walks up to the, right, this is actually awesome. She walks up to the building that has the generator in it. The door is wide open. Like, so we're seeing the inside of the door because it's like open on its hinges. She like walks into the room, finds his raincoat and is like, hmm, that's strange. She like looks around. There's no bill in the generator room. She walks back outside. She closes the door to the generator room and nailed to the outside of the door with a bunch of arrows is Bill's fucking corpse. Which One in the fucking eyeball, dude. Actually really hype. Like, that yeah. was really That neat. one fucking got me, dude. Yeah, like, like, that was spooky. That was a big jump And that's scare. like, because I remember, I remember watching these films when I was younger and they never really scared me or anything and I, I wouldn't say I was, like, terrified by this film, but there were a few moments where, like, I genuinely felt tense. So, she runs. She's screaming, understandably. She goes back into the main cabin. She like pulls the door she realizes she can't lock the door so then we get this really funny shot where she like picks up a bundle of rope throws it over the rafters and for a half second you think she's just like guess i'll just hang myself yeah. like, there's, there's no way out of this the killer's coming just gonna hang myself that's that's the best i can do in this scenario but instead she fucking rigs up this mechanism to lock the door she's actually pretty fucking ingenious she dude. ties a knot on the rafters. yeah she ties a knot to the door so you can't open the door from the outside Pretty fucking cool, actually. Then she, like, despite the fact that the door opens outwards, she spends, like, a good minute just stacking everything she can yeah. up in front of the door. But she's... it's it's very, as what I was saying earlier, this is all very panicked. She's, like, yeah. rushing around just, like, trying to figure out what to do. And, like, I think at this point, Alice, uh, briefly comes in as, like, an, a nice audience surrogate of, like, being terrified, but just trying to figure out what to do. I think yeah. it's sad as she loses pretty soon, but at this point, like, I think we're there with her, like, being like, oh, fuck, what do you grab? What do you... Just fucking anything, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. But what she doesn't grab is any kind of weapon. No, that's true. She just, like, puts everything she can in front of the door and doesn't really think about getting anything to defend herself. At this point, we have to address this as well, because this becomes very important, like for the rest of the movie and it has been the whole time and I feel like we've mentioned it a couple of times the music here is awesome oh so good like dude. in this scene like it's so fucking like spooky it's so and hype, hype and it's getting yeah. so loud and she's just like really panicked and like she walks into the kitchen and we get this slow pan around the spooky ass room with and this intense ass music going comes over like, like right right near her like just, and then like just slightly to the right to a window and yeah. fucking Brenda flies yeah, through dude, dude. Like, a fucking dead Brenda, like, torpedoed through, like, yeah, the dude. window. We haven't seen Brenda, so 
said she was out in the archery range. We didn't see her die, but oh, now her fuck. corpse... This one got has me! ...has been flung oh, through Jesus, the window. Dude. And we're like, oh, fuck! But then, what's that? The jeep rocks up. It must be Steve Christie. Yeah, right. Uh, so she's there. She's like, feels like she's saved, rushes out into the light, and then there's just this lady there. Lady wearing a fucking turtleneck sweater. Yeah, dude. And she's like, who are you? And the lady's like, oh... I'm Mrs. Voorhees. And at this point, if you know anything about the Friday the 13th franchise, you're hype as fuck. Yeah. Because you're like, oh shit, we're an hour and 20 into this 90 minute movie and we finally heard the word Voorhees. I know. It's this lady, this put together middle-aged lady with a fucking like, you know, short hair and a perm. Remarkably brave, just kind of like, hey, that's fine. Like, I'm going to go in the house, we're going to sort it out. She's like, I'm a long-term friend of the Christie's. I I used to work here. Uh, I'll, I'll help you out don't worry about it and and Alice is like you don't understand there's been murders people are dead and she's like it's fine let's go in the house and man this scene's actually fucking really good um Mrs. Voorhees uh I think first name is Pamela I think I'm not sure we know that find out yeah I I think I know that from uh from later films yeah, um, we don't hear about it in but this movie, Mrs. that's for sure. Mrs. Voorhees, like, going through seeing Brenda and being like, oh, so young, so pretty. And, like, all of a sudden, Who this brave lady, this? yeah, it must be a monster, yeah. she starts talking about uh, Jason Voorhees, yeah. the boy that died in 1957. Yeah, yeah, she's like, did you ever hear? This is such a tragedy. It's just like back in 1957 when a boy drowned in the lake. And you all let it happen. And she just slowly reveals, like, the core conceit of this film yeah. and later the franchise. Which is that her son, uh, Brown, Jason Voorhees, drowned uh, in 1957 because, like, the camp council were too busy fucking to take or care of Or she says, making love. Yeah, of course. The camp councils are off making love. And so now it's her mission to keep this place shut down by just murdering the fuck out of everyone. Yeah, so she reveals that she was the cook at the camp in 1957. And her son drowned. so interesting because I-, I was aware of this reveal as a viewer as well but feeling the room and the amount of times that people were referring to the killer as he and like I think it's actually a really nice reversal of being like oh thank god it's not a dude because when we first when Annie first sees the killer the first time we see them at all and uh, before this it's just like a pair of pants and shoes and so you're thinking like it's a killer it's it's a dude and then so this reveal like actually comes off really yeah, nicely yeah, exactly it's also like it's one of those fucking things where like I mean this is with the, the benefit of watching this kind of movie today like even if you've never seen one of these movies you hear Friday the 13th you know Jason Voorhees or you know the hockey mask killer like the iconic he's wearing a hockey mask he's got a machete yeah. he's just this guy running around like everybody knows that character he's so famous he's not even in the first movie like the, the killer in the first movie is his fucking mum yeah. it's fucking Mrs. Voorhees and alright I got a little fucking ranty about this later he doesn't even pick up the fucking hockey mask until the third movie dude, like yeah. that's how many of these movies there are dude movie 2 it's a paper bag on his head yeah, and a pitchfork. Exactly, dude. And then movie three, he gets the hockey mask, and then they're like, well, I guess we can make eight more movies. Yeah, <laughs> this guy just has this fucking mask and shit. She, she's revealed to be kind of like psychotic. Like, she's talking to herself, like in the guise of Jason. Like, she's being like, kill her, kill her, mommy. Like, Jason, yeah, in her yeah, voice, yeah. telling her to kill the counselor. And she's clearly like identifying Alice with the counselors that let Jason drown. She's like, you all killed her. You should have been paying attention. And yeah. then she, like, lunges at Alice they wrestle for a while at this point I've noted down a delicious final minute twistery gotta be on that remake ability grind it's so twisty turny dude Um, so she tries to murder Alice 
Alice is no chump. Alice fucking, like, blocks her knife with something and then runs away. Yeah, we essentially get this montage here where... It's Benny Hill-esque, man. Yeah, of, like, uh, Pam- uh, of Mrs. Voorhees constantly catching up to Alice, them fighting Mrs. Voorhees with a weapon. Alice will pick something up to knock the weapon away and knock her over and then just run away. Yeah. Like, and, like, the first time, I get it, but second time, I'm fucking, like, stomping into that person's face or something. Yeah, you know so, what like, I mean? Alice starts running. She goes outside. She opens the door of the car. There's Annie's dead body in the car. Fucking hot callback. Steve's body falls out of a tree. And at this point, they're, like, both running around the camp. And I've written down, it's an old-fashioned murder-off. Yeah. Who can murder who, <laughs> who can the murder fastest? Who? Yeah. And that's essentially what it's about. So now we get into cut. Voorhees is starting the generator for some reason, while Alice is, like, getting a gun. She's trying to, like, use the butt of the gun to break open the lock on the drawer containing the ammo. But she can't get to it in time. Voorhees yeah. rocks up there. Alice tries the old bluff sort of thing, but Voorhees ain't falling for it. They wrestle. They kind of, like, wrestle around a little bit some more. Yeah. Uh, there's more, like, uh, the same thing happens again, sort of they wrestle, she like, knocks her over and runs away. Yeah, at this point I've noticed, so like she knocks her out again with the rifle, or knocks her down, throws the gun down, like literally also just puts her weapon down again, yeah. and like runs off. Like even though the, the rifle doesn't have bullets in it, she's used it to effectively bludgeon her, and then is just like, throws it on the ground and runs away. Voorhees gets up again, and I've written down like, man, dude, Voorhees is here to do two things. One, look fresh to death in that turtleneck sweater and two murder rowdy teens. And she will not be stopped. These are her two passions in life. Alice locks herself in the pantry and like, I got a question here. Why does a pantry lock from the inside? Yeah, it is interesting. It's a pantry. It's where you keep food. She goes inside it and the lock's on the inside. It's a little bit convenient. But having said that... It's not a little bit convenient, Jackson... It makes literally no sense. Yeah, that, that is very like, true. Why would you ever design a pantry with a lock on the inside? I guess if you if you prefer sleeping in the pantry, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like that's, that's your That's gotta that's be it. That's the only reason. <laughs> so Alice locks herself in the pantry. She hears Voorhees come in the house that has the pantry in it, and it's like, gee, I guess she'll never check the pantry. She she doesn't. And it's like, oh, maybe we're we're scot free. Uh, the scene is still very tense, though, and then we, like, like get a zoom in on the handle, which starts to, like, turn and move around. Ooh. Voice is outside with an axe and just starts, like, chopping her way through. Chomping her way through that pantry. A little bit of, little bit of Here's Johnny for you. Yeah. Like, has a peek through, nice, like, the nice, hole nice. she's made. Here's Johnny, up. a movie that also came out this year. Then, dude, like, she owns the pantry and we get, like, probably the most miserable example of a fight scene until the one that happens a few minutes later, between... Like, it's literally, like, there are four of the same thing happen in a row. Yeah. It's literally, like, Voorhees attacks Alice, Alice knocks the weapon aside and knocks her out. Same thing happens again. She locks herself in the pantry, Voorhees breaks in, Voorhees comes out with the machete. She has a cooking pot. She's picked up, like, a cast iron pan, knocks Voorhees with the cast iron pan. Whacks her in the head, bruises her, there's a bit yep. of blood as well. Voorhees and falls And like, down. fucking bails. Just runs away. L- drops the pan, doesn't pick up the machete, drops the pan, doesn't pick up the fucking machete and runs away. She runs down to the river. She sits down on the side of the river and just stares into the water. Just facing the water. She's like, damn, that was some fucked up shit. But then who's that coming up behind? You better believe it's Voorhees. Yeah, and so, they, they wrestle around again. They, they wrestle again. Same scene again. Yeah, dude, the literally the oh. exact same thing happens. They're on the dirt. They're wrestling around. Like, Voorhees has got Alice by the hair. And she's, like, smashing her face into the sand on the side of the river. And then Alice, like, gets the upper hand somehow, like, pushes Voorhees away. Runs over and gets the machete. And then we get this, like... 
completely oh, unhinged dude. slow motion scene. So like, like literally, like Alice picks up the machete. Voorhees is like getting up off the ground. It cuts to slow motion. Alice sprinting towards the camera, wielding this machete at her hip. We cut back to Voorhees' face, contorted in a fucking scream of horror. As she's like, ah! Then the next thing we see, Alice swinging the machete. And then the next thing we see, the headless body of Mrs. Voorhees yeah, as her head, head tumbles to the ground. One swing. One swing. She's been so adverse to killing her before now. She's knocked her over three times and run away. Now she's like, you know what? Three is enough. Yeah. Head lopped off with one I swing. Mean, she probably got her like hit points down to like five or something like oh, that. Oh, dude, nice, nice, nice. You know what I mean? Nice, 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 dude. Nice. Very good. So she kills Voorhees, who is also just resigned to her death in the same way as the teens from earlier. She sees yeah, it's Alice. It's a beautiful relationship with like, it's a very, uh, very feudal it's, Japanese it's pro quo. sort of uh, style, I think, of being like, of like seeing your death and staring it in the eye rather than turning away from it. So, That's right. Yeah, it's, there's, it's, no, there's no cowardice. It's powerful stuff. <laughs> and, and then uh, we just get the most triumphant music I've heard in my entire life yep. so all movie we've had this really dark like, and like all this other like like violins and shit going on like going crazy and then we just have this triumphant uplifting music as Alice just gets into the one of the boats and fucking just like paddles out into the middle, into of, the the middle of the river like she just and she doesn't even bring a paddle like no. she, she gets in the boat and she just hand paddles her way out into the middle of the river she just like literally just sails out of the lake, and that's like that should have been credits, man. But yeah. Instead of that being credits, which would have been crazy and awesome, we get like cut to the next morning. Alice has been sleeping in the river in this canoe because she guess she feels safe out there, and a cop car shows up, which begs the question: Why? Yeah. Like, who called the cops? It wasn't Alice. Everyone else is dead. Yeah. Why do the cops just come out to the camp? Now, like, Alice is in the canoe. The cops are there on the shore, like, waving at her. She kind of wakes up and she's like, hey! And then this fucking spooky-looking, like, zombie baby. Fucking, like, like, zombie Jason reaches up out of the water and just fucking, like... Tips the canoe. Pulls Alice underwater, and you're at this point. I wrote down like, "Oh fuck! I totally forgot that this was how this movie ended." Yeah. I totally didn't think this was how the movie because I remember like that the movie ends like it ends famously with like a scene of the water where you're not sure whether like Jason's in there or not. And I was kind of like expecting that, like maybe you know something spooky will happen. And then this fucking zombie like baby like pulls underwater, and I was like, "Man, I don't remember that." But then it smash cut. Alice wakes up in a hospital bed, and there's a cop there and a nurse there who, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this. The blonde nurse literally just looks at the camera. Like, she's yeah. standing there <laughs> and she's like looking off screen, and then she just goes, <laughs> and like looks back off screen. She, she knows, though, dude. That's, yeah. that's a wink to the audience. It's bre- breaking the fourth wall. It's very she, good. She looks directly into the camera and then looks back away as a cop enters the screen. And, and Alice is like, Are they all dead? And the cop's like, Yes. <laughs> they're all dead. Yes, ma'am. Yes, <laughs> they're all dead. And then, then Alice is like, Did you find the boy? And the cop's like, what boy? And she's like, Jason, the boy who pulled me underwater. And it's literally like, wow, you've put this together incredibly quickly, Alice. That's really weird. And the cop's like, like, there was no boy. And she's like, oh, he must still be out there. And then we cut back to like the water and like it's like zooming slowly in on the river and the water just starts to like ripple, like almost like something's about to break the surface. (gasps) And then it's credits. And we're finally there. We're at the end of the movie. 
Welcome back to the Post Show Roundup. Uh, we're going to talk about, I guess, MVPs now, right? Yeah, I'm let's, into it, dude. Let's go back through our notes. Can you just, yeah, like, rattle them off for me, dude, that list of MVPs that I know you have. Okay, let me let me do it. Okay, so for me, the first one is the guy whose name we didn't get. Uh, anonymous drove, truck man? Yeah, anonymous truck boy who drove Annie up to the town, which or to the to the camp, which is, he was pretty cool. He was there for being like a no-nonsense guy. He said like, shut up, Ralph, you gotta leave this girl alone. Yeah. And he was just being like, are all the girls there as pretty as you? Well, also, as he helped Annie into the truck, just like two hands, one hand per cheek, Yeesh. just like pushing her up into this yeah, truck by her butt. Pretty gross. It was, it was, yeah, a lot. So, I don't know, that was alright. Mm. Then, the next nominee for MVP for me is Annie, funnily enough. Nice. For bailing the fuck out of a moving van. <laughs> I think she deserves a little credit for that. Uh, then after that, we've got Ralph. Crazy for Ralph. For that scene oh. with the pantry and just the calm bicycling Man. away. Yeah. Like, pretty pretty good. Pretty hard to get past Ralph. I mean, hiding in someone's pantry to, like, fucking spook them out and tell them about your mission from God is pretty good, I think. Yeah, and then I think my, like, final MVP and I'm although double check, is Alice. So, I don't know. For me, out of those four, I think it's got to come down to Ralph and Alice for me. Dude, I fucking love Ralph. I, I gotta be honest. I mean, the fact that he gets a recall in the later films yeah, dude. is Alice in the later films. That's important. I can't remember, dude. Okay, well, the fact that you remember Ralph... I, I, honestly, Ralph is one of the most recognizable moments of, like, cinema history history for me okay like, I like just the way he gets on that bike and just calmly pedals away dude like so frequently and just always yelling about doom I love that doom yeah alright you've sold me dude Ralph it is Ralph for MVP yeah. you've done it we gotta find that actor's name ding 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 Walt Gorney as crazy Ralph oh I love it Walt you did a great job you've done it Walt Walt has his own Wikipedia page just gotta click through onto that Oh my, uh, yikes, best known as Crazy Ralph in the <laughs> 1980 slasher film Friday the 13th, he reprised the role in Friday the 13th part 2, and had an uncredited role as the narrator for the prologue to Friday the 13th part 7, The New Blood, 1988, what? making him the first actor in Friday the 13th history to have two different roles in the franchise. Yeah, right. There you go. He was also in the final chapter, 1980, uh, sorry, Friday the 13th final chapter, 1984. Getting it done, dude. Yeah, fucking Walt Gorney. What a, what a guy. The distance between the 2009 remake of this movie and now, eight years, that has to be the longest time in history that there hasn't been a Friday the 13th movie. And I'm going to look that up since, since they started. Yeah, of I'm going to look that up now. So, so hang on. Here we go. So, Friday the 13th, 1980. Mm-hmm. Part 2, 1981. Part 3, 1982. Mm-hmm. Final chapter, 1984. <laughs> A New Beginning, 85. Jason Lives, 86. New Blood, 88. Jason Takes Manhattan, 89. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, 93. That's four years. Ah, then from uh, 93 okay. to Jason X, eight years. 93 to 2001, Jason X. Then, Freddy vs. Jason, 2003, that's two years. Uh, then, Freddy vs. Jason, did Friday the 13th, 2009, that's another six years. So, currently, it's tied. Tied for the record. Dude, we're, we're due for another one. We're, we're literally due. Yeah. If it goes any longer, I mean, next year, because there's not one coming this year. So, it will be. 2009 till if there is one next year, 2018, it will be the longest there has been since the franchise started without a new one. Should we get on to some of the uh, established trivia from yes. the pros, the people who aren't me? Please do. The movie was filmed at Camp 
Noby Bosco in New Jersey. Okay. The camp is still in operation, and it has a wall of Friday the 13th paraphernalia. So, you know, like, you're a kid, you go to, like, summer <laughs> camp, and there's a wall dedicated a wall. to a famous yeah, yeah. I, I remember movie. the murder walls, yeah. Yeah, that's fucked up. Oh, here's one for you. Victor Miller had originally given Jason the name of Josh. After deciding that it sounded too nice, he changed it to Jason, named after a school bully. <laughs> 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 the film takes place on June 13th, 1958 and June 13th, 1979. So. Man, um, do you ever, like, uh, do you ever hear that whole thing about, like, uh, Goosebumps? About how, like, R.L. Stein used to just use, like, for, like, his character names, used to just use names, uh, from his, like, children's classes like, at, at their schools. Wow. So imagine knowing, like, the child of R.L. Stein and then him borrowing your name and writing you into a children's murder book. That's fucked up, dude. How fucked up is that? Like, you're just kind of like, yeah, it's, yeah it's just easier than thinking out my own names. And yeah. I was like, I guess so, but, like, I'm not sure you're allowed to do that to children, just being like, yeah, you're in a you're in a uh, children's horror story now. Sorry. Man, okay, so here's one for you. Fucking the special effects supervisor on this movie was fucking Tom Savini. That motherfucker's famous. Like... He did Dawn of the Dead, Day oh, of the Dead, nice. Creep Show, Texas Chainsaw, Tom Savini. He was the special effects advisor, and he was the one who fired the arrow that narrowly missed Brenda. Whoa. Yeah. He um, never really got the hang of uh, slitting throats, did he? Yeah, he, not in this movie, at least. While most of the cast and crew stayed at local hotels during the filming, some of the loyal cast and crew members, including Tom Savini and uh, Tasso N. Stavrakis, stayed in the actual campsite. They had Savini's Betamax VCR and only a couple of movies, Barbarella and Marathon Man, on videotape to keep themselves entertained, so each night they would watch one of these movies. Oh. To this day, Savini says he can recite these movies by heart. That's just a nice story. Oh, that's touching. Victor Miller admitted that he was purposely writing off the success of John Carpenter's Halloween, which came out two years earlier. Right. So really fucking building on that established franchise. It was like Texas Chainsaw 74, Halloween 78, and then Friday the 13th, yeah, 1980. Right. Man, that's something. Dude, here's a bit of truth for you. The scene with the snake was not in the script and was an idea from Tom Savini after oh. an experience in his own cabin during filming. Totally explains why it was unmotivated and achieved nothing. Yeah. Like, literally, it was just a weird thing that added nothing to the movie. The snake in the scene was real, including its on-screen death. Ah. Tom, why? <laughs> Victor Miller's working title for the script was Long Night at Camp Blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I remember, like, reading the name of this, like, fucking, like, uh, like, D-grade horror film, it was like, One Night on Killington Mountain. Jesus. Like, alright, didn't expend any brain cells there, but... Sean S. Cunningham has been quoted as saying that the type of actors that he sought for the film were good-looking kids who you might see in a Pepsi commercial. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so horrifying. <coughs> that's really funny. Here's what I was talking about before. Gene Siskel hated this movie so much he gave away the ending in his review. He and Roger Ebert slammed it in a special edition of Siskel and Ebert, The War on Women, focusing on misogynistic slasher movies. All of this served to boost ticket sales. Man, that's pretty grim. <laughs> Here's a nice bit of trivia about right. our MVP son. Crazy Ralph was called <laughs> Ralphie Ratboy <laughs> in earlier draft of the script. 
So they're gonna be like, hey, have you guys seen old Ralphie Ratboy? He's meant to be hanging out here in the woods this week. <laughs> So for me, like, purely on the fact that, like, they remade this movie and rebooted it, like, so many times, coupled with the fact that, like, it kind of, like, helped establish the slasher genre, like, in a sense, like, this is, this is big for me. Like, this is, like, this is the highest rating I've given. I'm giving this movie seven out of seven murdered teens. Interesting. As a remakeability rating. What are you giving it? I'm actually going to go the other way. Oh. Because, and I totally agree. I think there's a lot of, like, really great parts to this film. And I think you can do, like, a lot of stuff with, like, bringing into the future and that sort of thing. I do also think that it's maybe a touch played out. And as much as I love this franchise, if we're talking particularly in the realm of, like, say, like, the 2009 one or something like that, uh, and I'm thinking, like, full context of all the other films that happened... I'm not sure this is the best choice of film to remake. I'm probably going to go four out of 12 installments <laughs> of the Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah. Wow, that's low. That's our most divisive rating yeah. yet. To be wrong, I fucking dug this film. Yeah. I just, I, I'm You're a bigger as... fan of this franchise than I am. Yeah, that's that's true. something else. Well, there you go. I suppose they can't all be winners, just like Steve's ability or attempt to, to reboot Camp Crystal Lake. Sometimes, you know, things don't go as planned. You gotta know when to hold them, gotta know when to fold them. That's right. And in this case, you gotta fold up the movies and shoot them into space, just like Jason in Jason X. Hey, we got there. Uber Jason. Hey, Never forget. We did it. Still Interested is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Ben McAllister and Jackson Usid. We are produced by me, Grace Chappell. Editing by Jackson Usid. Theme music is Anitra's Dance, composed by Edward Grieg. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Curio Network and at SI Curio Show. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter. If you like the show, think about giving us a rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It actually is really helpful. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where I talk with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them. Or How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, where we play D&D. Seriously, it's a lot of fun. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. We'll see you in two weeks.